1: run your law firm the right way way. this is the Maximum maximum lawyer podcast your hosts jim hacking and tyson mutrix let's partner up and maximize your firm welcome to the show welcome back to the maximum lawyer podcast i'm jim hacking
2: and i'm tyson mutrix what's up jimmy
1: Today's a good day, Tyson. I went into the gas station to get some bottled water, and I didn't have to wear a mask.
2: It's kind of a weird feeling, isn't it?
1: It seems sort of naked.
2: Yeah. I. Uh, so, Columbia is maskless, right? So, you, you go around, and there's people that still wear them. You know, I'm fully vaccinated. You're fully vaccinated. You lo- they're, like, looking at you. You're looking at them. It's kind of like feeling each other out. It's It's going to be an awkward next six months, I think.
1: Well, I do that whole thing where I check my right pocket for my keys, my back pocket for my wallet, my left pocket for my phone, and then I reach for my mask. So now I don't have to reach for my mask.
2: That's right. Do you feel like you've got to have your card on you just in case someone asks you about it?
1: (laughs) Um, I have a digital in my phone, so that's going to be my go-to.
2: I didn't think about doing that. Yeah, I didn't take a picture of mine. Good idea. Smart idea.
1: All right. Well, you want to go ahead and introduce our guest?
2: Yeah, our guest today is fellow Guild member, Curtis Klein. And after 17 years, 13 years as a partner at a respected small town firm, Curtis went out on his own in June of 2018. He continues to work in the same town doing similar work, which is adoptions, family law, and personal injury. He has built a busy solo practice, which uses technology to assist with keeping all the plates spinning at once. He is married and has two adult daughters, two almost adult sons, and the best-looking grandson, a man could hope for. That is awesome. Curtis, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: So, Curtis, I'm sort of of the mindset that the longer you work for another firm, the harder it is to break free of that gravity. So talk to us about you know, your time at that firm and then sort of what led you. like, What was your thought process as you began to think about going out on your own and then sort of how that grew into you actually leaving?
3: Sure. It was a long process. The truth was, is that it was a great firm when I was there. It's still a great firm. Uh, A lot of great um, friends over there. My, My thought process about leaving was that it was, it was, it wanted to be a full service law firm in a small town. That meant a lot of overhead. It meant a lot of expenses that I quite frankly, you know, with my practice areas, I wasn't really bringing enough in to justify all those, all that overhead. And so... It, I, I began to think about, you know, w- could I do what I'm doing with much less overhead? And that's exactly what I've done the last almost three years now, been able to do w- what I was doing with much less overhead. So it was a tough decision. It was a great breakup, if you will. I told all my partners on a Wednesday morning, and then I went over Wednesday afternoon and and did work for the county. We, we, we represented the county, and so I did some work on the county. And then the next morning, I opened up my firm, and I left with all my cases, I did all the domestic relations cases at the firm. None of them wanted them. So I got to leave with all my cases. And so I had plenty of work to do the, the next day and started, you know, bringing in new work. My deal with them was I would keep all of my accounts receivable. They'd keep all of their accounts receivable. So when I left for the few two or three, four months afterwards, they'd send me a check every month with all the money that they pulled in for me that, you know, for my bills and my cases. So it was a great split up, but the it was tough. It was, I told my father-in-law maybe two years beforehand that I was thinking about it. And I told him about a year, maybe 18 months later, and he kind of looked at me and goes, you know, you've been saying that for a while now. <laughs> so it was, uh, but it was a process and it took me a long, it took me a while to get the courage to do it. So I actually want to back up a little bit
2: and kind of flip this the way Jim and I normally do it. So I want to talk about really your journey up to that point. So, talk about um, you've been practicing for a little while. So, so talk about your journey leading up to that.
3: Sure. So, I um, graduated from University of Georgia Law School in 2000. I had already had a master's in social work degree and a history degree. Didn't do much other than continue schooling with that. Um, But I I I wanted to work in child welfare policy. I'd, I'd worked with adoptions and and, um, and foster care and, and things like that beforehand, and so I wanted to go into that. I realized there was really no jobs for that, and, and when I was trying to find a job after law school or during my third year of law school, so I ended up taking a clerkship up in Dalton, Georgia, small town up in northwest Georgia, just below Chattanooga. And I've really enjoyed the town. I enjoyed the pace. I enjoyed the judges. We've got four judges and two county circuit, and we've just got. Good bar, a good um, set of judges, and so it was just kind of a comfortable place. So, when I was done with the clerkship, I went with the firm that that I was with for 17 years, and I was originally hired to do mainly civil litigation. But in the process of being hired, the the associate that was there doing domestics quit, and so they said, Well, we, we really need you to do that. So, that's how I ended up doing domestics, and so as I had mentioned, I kind of just got to the point where I felt like I could do it better uh, by myself and and so ended up leaving.
1: Curtis, most of what I know about being a small town lawyer, I learned from Jake Brigance and the John Grisham books, Time to Kill and Time for Mercy and Sycamore Row, which is my favorite. And what do people who don't work in a small town as a lawyer need to know or or what can you tell us about that lifestyle of practice and sort of how it might be different than? you know, a lot of the people in the group who focus on one thing in one city.
3: Sure. Sure. There's a lot of advantages to, to a small town and, you know, domestics. I'm I'm in court probably three or four times a month. Um, I'm seeing the same attorneys over and over again. We're representing the same kind of folks and we're seeing each other over and over again. And that be, builds collegiality. So if if I call up one of my fellow attorneys and I say, look, I just Something's going on, I need a continuance. That's it. It's done. So the and, and that's, you know, of course, there's a few that, that are more difficult. But for the most part, that's how this works. And and it's very easy to deal with other attorneys. They're not going to stab you in the back on this case because you know next week they're going to have a one with you where you could stab them in, in the back if if you would. So, so there's a there's a collegiality, there's a a sense of I I practice in a two county circuit. Our judges are the exact same. I know what the judges are going to do. So 80% of my cases, I can tell my clients pretty specifically, you know, that particular judge has this hang up and we need to deal with that. We just, we, we can't ignore it. We got to know that it's there and deal with it. So there's a lot of advantages to those kinds of things right there. I just wonder if, if
2: practicing in a small town, like if you
3: feel more pressure to
2: take on cases that you wouldn't normally take just because the volume's less.
3: That, well, you know, I think I mentioned you at one point, it's, I, I'm afraid to niche down e- further than I have because I don't know that there's the work out there. I probably, you know, I love to do adoptions. My two adop- my two daughters were adopted, and so that's a passion area of mine. I think I probably file more than half of the adoptions in this circuit, which I don't think you could even approach in a larger city like Atlanta or, or, or Chattanooga but i don't know that i can garner or capture much more of that market i don't think i can you know do more advertising and get get you know make it worth my while so so the idea is yeah you, i don't know how much you can niche down in an area where you know there's just the the population's limited so let's think back to when you
1: went out on your own and we are sort of jumping around but i i i'd, I'd be interested in talking about in those days, after you left your old firm, what surprised you? What what excited you? And what scared you? Wow.
3: So, what excited me is just you know having my name on the door. Just the idea that every decision I had was mine. My wife was excited about that. She was she was gung ho from the from the very beginning. She was very excited about it. She was very encouraging. I told I told my partners on June sixth. We're both big history nuts, and so she sent out a. a a fir- or a family text saying, "All right, everyone, it's it's uh, D Day." Uh, Dad's telling his partner. <laughs> so it was this just this exciting time of knowing, "Hey, we're building something new, and um, we're going to do do things differently. We're going to use technology to try to make everything run smoother." So that was exciting to me. Um, Trying building out that uh, those processes. What scared me was, I guess, what scares everybody is where's the next paycheck going to come from, and so. It was nice to know that when I left, I, I was able to bring all my all my work with me. Of course, that meant I had a lot of fees that I earned over at the old firm that I was having to earn. But it also meant that I, I immediately had work to do, and then you know I'm not sure what else, but th- that's what scared me. I guess that's what scares everybody.
2: So let's talk about the technology component that you you mentioned a few times. So how is it that you use technology to stand out, especially in a, in a smaller area?
3: Sure, sure. One of the things that w- when I was at my previous firm, I, I I started doing mediations and domestic relations cases about, I don't know, two years before I left my previous firm. And I asked my secretary at one point, I said, Hey, how much of your time is spent, you know, on the mediation practice. Now mediations, I charge less than my hourly rate, my normal hourly rate, because I basically show up at the mediation, open the file, do it, collect my money and go home. I never think about it. I never stay like worrying about it. I just do it. And so it's a nice way to, to supplement the, the income. She told me that 50% of her time was spent scheduling the mediations. And I said, no, we got to fix that. So when I went out on my own, I had had plenty of um, time to research this stuff beforehand. I found Acuity, an online scheduler. My online scheduling for mediation, I joke around with people because I'm well used as a mediator. And I joke around with people. I said, the only reason is because it's so easy to schedule my mediations. They can find my availability, enter the information. It goes into a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. And then we have a mail merge that creates every document that we need. So our admin time on a mediation is probably 10 minutes, if that. And so building that out, and i I've kind of geeked out on that stuff. I enjoyed it. I liked it. But my wife's, my administrative, uh, or my uh, mediation specialist, and I taught her how to do it. And, and like I said, it probably takes her ten minutes. The, the most difficult part is conflict check. Um, that's that, and because that's manual, and I haven't figured out a way to to really get that down. But so things like that, things like I, I use Office three six five. So I, I try as much as possible to um, you know take advantage of of all the, all the different um, programs that are there and things like that.
2: So I want to brainstorm for you. Sorry, Jim, I'm going to cut in
3: real quick. What, what case management system do you use? So um, um, in my case, I'm working through LOCUS to try to build it out so that I can switch to LOCUS. I'm trying, that's kind of a, supposed to be a second quarter goal um, to get it ready. And and I'm waiting for them to fix one or two things that they say are coming, and then I'll be able to, to make some real headway. So mm-hmm. I, that's kind of,
2: all right, I'm going bra- to brainstorm and hopefully give you a solution to the conflict check by the end of the uh, end of the show. I'm on okay. the clock. Give me your up. Okay.
1: <laughs> Running your own practice can be scary. Whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm, or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license, the stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity, focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second-guessing and mistake-making to get you off that hamster wheel for good.
2: Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time is a step-by-step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you are prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash course.
1: Curtis, what do you say to the lawyers, and I know this this is sort of a softball, and, and we'll, we will like your answer, I know that, but what do you say to the lawyers who say, I'm too busy to spend out the time building out that system to allow you to spend 10 minutes in administrative time on your mediations? I mean, so, so many people, we always get this resistance from folks saying, oh, I'm too busy doing, doing, doing and they don't want to set aside that time. What What
3: was your mindset for that? Well, I, I think the mindset is kind of funny to think about it this way, that, that, you know, if you have an administrative staff that's spending 50% of their time on your least, on your, on your, you know, your practice area that has the least hourly wage, that that's just not a good look. It's just, you're never going to get anywhere that way. And so to, to me, the idea was, if, if I'm going to go out on my own, I'm going to do it lean. I'm going to be, you know, I didn't hire an assistant immediately. And so I had to have things that did all that work for me. Also, people can schedule their initial consultation on my website, just like that. I don't, they don't have to call. So those kinds of things happen automatically. There's no, I, I can't imagine the return on investment that I've had just from doing that with just those two things. The amount of, um, you know, time that I haven't spent on the phone with some attorney's assistant trying to find a date and time that works for mediation. There's just no accounting for that. Uh, the return on investment is insane. So, and that's the same with all this stuff. That you, the more that you automate, the more you're able to see those kinds of those kinds of dividends.
2: So, Curtis, uh, I, I've got a solution for you. Um, okay. I know- Enter the lead. You can actually run it because Locus is in Zapier. You can run it to find the contact inside of Zapier. Do you do you use like Slack or anything like that in the firm?
3: No, we use Teams for for that kind of thing. Perfect I do dabble one. in Zapier. So
2: well, let's let's stay. Let's say you got Teams. You can actually run it. Lead goes into um, into Locus. You can run it. You can actually however you enter it. Doesn't matter how it enters in. It comes in. Yeah, but to find the contact inside of LawKiss, and then you could have it send you a message in Teams if they found a con- another a similar contact. So boom, right. you've run your conflict check and you've been alerted of it. So yeah. that's just one simple way. Of doing. I'm sure other people have a variety of other ways. But anyways, so that's your solution. But let's talk about the future though. Where where are you headed with this? What what are your big, hairy, audacious goals for
3: for the future? Sure. So my practice areas right now are, are personal injury general domestic kind of cases, adoptions, of course. And then, of course, I do mediations. So I track those real carefully. My goal, and and this is why I think I I posted something in the Facebook group, I'm trying to figure out how to envision growth in this smaller community. And so my idea is to, like the five-year plan, the five-year plan would be to have me maybe just running the firm, Doing adoptions, maybe mediations. I know I'm not sure about that. But if I could just be doing media uh, adoptions and running the firm, and then having a have two or three attorneys maybe that could handle the domestic cases, that could handle the the personal injury cases, and it might mean also expanding the practice areas. So, for instance, if I if I found a great fit for someone who wanted to just come in and do criminal law, and I could say, great, come in. Let's do criminal law. I'll build out my website. I'll build out my presence for that. And we'll make that happen. I'll do all the, you know, on the back end, I'll do all the marketing and everything. And we'll, we'll get you geared up and, and have you out there doing it. So three to four years, two or three attorneys working out these practice areas and maybe me just doing adoptions and running the firm. That would be my, my perfect setup. That brings up my favorite
1: question. What's your least favorite part of running a firm?
3: You know, I think that trying to juggle working in and working on the business and familiar, familial duties at the house. And, and, you know, we're taking care of my grandson right now because my daughter's in Korea and, and he's, you know, he's a lot of extra time and energy on my wife. And so I like to go home early and, and, you know, take the boy for a walk or take him to the park so she can have a few minutes of downtime and things like that. So just having to juggle all that, and I guess maybe that's not specific to a law firm. That's just, that's what, that's the toughest thing I'm going through right now.
2: Yeah. So I'm asking you a question I've never asked anyone. I don't think, I was just thinking about my dad the other day, because my dad's a mechanic and he, you know, he turns wrenches and he's been doing it for decades and, you know, his body's beaten up. So he he needs an exit plan. He just doesn't have an exit plan. I keep trying to get him to, hey, you've got to figure out how to kind of wind things down and slow things down. So whenever you're ready, re- ready to retire well into the future, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, what do you need to do to set your firm up so that it's running yourself at that time so you can just walk away and it have it,
3: it make money for you? Well, definitely get to the point where we get these extra or other attorneys in. We get to the point where we're having where the marketing's taking care of itself, where we've got good attorneys who are getting referrals. We get, you know, obviously small town, you're gonna to get a lot of referrals. So so we appreciate all of that. But but eventually I guess then having a good business manager or office manager who is in running the day-to-day of the business side of everything. And then and like I said, I mean I could see myself semi-retiring and doing adoptions, you know, just and just enjoying that. A lot of people, a lot of mediators like to semi-retire as a media, it, it doing mediations. And I can see that too. But but yeah, I think I think those would be the two things, having the attorneys in place that can do that do that work and do it well, and then having the, the office side of it, the business side of it taken care of with an office manager or whatnot.
1: One of the questions that we like to ask people is, what advice do you have for someone who's sitting where you were the weeks leading up to going out on your own? You said that you would talk to your father-in-law about it off and on for about a year and a half, two years. What advice do you have for our listeners who are on the fence about whether or not to stay where they are or go out on their own?
3: Yeah, I, I would have a real good reason for leaving, I guess. You know, you, you have to have a a good reason for, for getting out of a situation that's probably pretty good. And if it's not good, then that's your good reason, right? And then just be real honest with yourself about the fact it's going to take a lot of work. This isn't a, it's not, you're not going to coast into a practice. You're going to have to put in the time, put in the energy and try as much as possible to think smart, not hard, you know, to work smart, not hard and figure out those ways that you can multiply your time and your energy through automation, through, through all, I mean, there's all kinds of resources out there. That, that make what we do now, which is interface with the public. I, I interface with the public. And there are so many ways to make that go smooth. And so yeah, look into those and make sure you're finding those and, and put them to use. Just kind of think outside of the box. That One of the issues with my other firm is that, you know, they just, it was hard to implement new things. And But there's so many things out there that can make this stuff move a lot smoother than, than, um, kind of the traditional way of doing it. So look for them, find them, you know, reach out to people like, you know, like maximum law. I've learned a lot of this stuff, just kind of listening to y'all and figuring out, you know, on the website and the the Facebook page and, and seeing all the different things that are out there, explore that stuff because it's going to save you time and energy down the road.
2: So Curtis is, is having your own firm what you expected? And, and if not, how's it different? How's it the same? Is, is it what you
3: expected? I, I guess it is. I mean, I'm still doing a lot of work. I'm, you know, I'm still, I probably work about the same that I did at the other firm, which is probably too much, you know, you know, it was easier to get burned out at the previous firm. It's it, it, I'm just invigorated after 17 years of practice, I'm invigorated doing it, you know, under, you know, under clean law, I, I enjoy that. So it's, it's still a little anxious, produce, produces lots of anxiety, You're wondering where the next month is, you know, how are we going to pay the bills next month and, and all that. And that's just, I've been doing that for 20 years, though. I guess that's small-town practice. But, but it, it's about what I expected it to be. I didn't expect to not have that, that, the feeling of getting burned out. That doesn't seem to be as much of an issue as it was. So
1: Curtis, for my last question, I'm wondering, what could we do to make the Guild better? You've been in the Guild for a while now. What could Tyson and I do to, to make it even more helpful for people?
3: So I may not be the person to ask because I joined the Guild right when we took in my grandson and I suddenly realized, I'm, I'm not going to leave, but I suddenly realized I don't have, like the Mondays and Friday meetings are very, very tough for me. I, I went on them for a few weeks and then I was like, I, I can't do it. That's my lunchtime and I'm with mediation, it's just, it's so, and I need to work through the um, maximum lawyer, minimum time, is that it? Yep. Uh, but I just haven't had the time. So I don't know that I'm the good one to ask. I certainly appreciate the camaraderie and the Facebook group and the, just the information and the encouragement. So I don't know that I'm going to be able to be very helpful on that question. Oh, good. Yeah.
2: Hey, at least you didn't say something like really bad. Oh, you all need to fix everything. Y'all need you know? to get new people running it or
1: something. <laughs> I think <it> sucks.
2: <laughs> All right, Curtis. We do need to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the big group, get involved there. There's a lot of great information being shared every single day. If you're interested in the Guild, go to maxlawguild.com. And then if you I want to remind everyone, go to maxlawcon.com to get your tickets because we will sell out. So make sure that you get your tickets because they are going fast. So make sure you get them. People are apparently excited to get out in October and see each other, which is awesome. We look forward to seeing everybody. Go to maxwellcon.com to get your tickets. All right, Jimmy, what's your hack of the week?
1: I'm at that stage in our firm's growth where there are now about two or three levels of people between me and and the sort of the new hires, the, the frontline people. And as much as I hate it, people in the office can be scared of me. Right. Like, and I, I, I absolutely hate that. Like it, it drives me crazy. I do everything I can to break down those walls and to, to not make it like that. It's one of the reasons I wear my cargo shorts and flip-flops and my t-shirts to work. I just like to keep it chill.
2: And your socks with your flip-flops.
1: I got them on right now. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I did just read a great book. And the name of the book is How to Be a Great Boss. It's by Gina Wickman and Renee Bohr, And it's very practical. And in the book, they sort of encourage us to take on that word boss. Like when my dad owned his firm, he wanted everyone to be scared of him. He sent his emails in all caps, right? And so he's sort of old school. And, you know, whenever I have to let someone go, he always volunteers to come in and fire the person because that was part of his job that he liked. This book sort of strikes that balance between me wanting to, to be as less formal as possible and my father being way out on the extreme. It sort of walks you through it encourages you to embrace the idea of being a boss and then it gives you some real practical tips on on how to be a great boss.
2: I feel like I've got to kind of salvage your father's reputation for his your dad's a really nice guy.
1: So <laughs> well, he's now. He's going to be eighty next week. He's chilled out. That's why.
2: Oh uh, cause because the, the encounters I've had with him, he's a, he's a nice dude. So maybe he just had it like, he was nice the rest of the time. He just had to take out his anger on firing people. Maybe that's what it was, but who knows? All right, Curtis, you know the deal. What is your
3: tip or hack of the week? So I, I use Office 365. Number one, they've got a free alternative to Loon. Is it Loom that does the videos? video. They've got a free alternative to that. I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but it allows 15 minute videos, it's great. But the one I have is, so I do a lot of adoptions. We have adoption petitions and they can be really particular, really, really involved. I use the um, Excel spreadsheet with a mail merge into my, those petitions. And what, what used to take me an hour to draft a petition, maybe an hour and a half, I can get a first draft in about five minutes. And so it took some time building it out, of course, but it was much easier than in a practice management software, getting all your custom forms right and all the uploading, all the documents just right and doing that. So there's so much in in those kind of large programs that you can do and you don't have to, um, you know, sometimes I I thought, Oh, I got to spend all this time to make my case work for that particular purpose. When a simple little Excel spreadsheet merging into a, word document can produce a, a beautiful document. So sometimes just figure out mail merge and, and and do your documents that way. Love it. Good. Easy
2: peasy. All right, for my tip of the week is it's to carve aside time each week to to read. And I've got it on my calendar. I've got 3 days a week where I've got business reading time it can be on any topic when it comes to business and then I've got uh, 3 days a week trial skills reading time and it can. I mean, in, in reading time, I also include like maybe I need to watch some videos on, on trial skills or something like that. So I'll, reading time is sort of loose term, but I, it, most of it's done reading. And so I've got a nice little tiny couch in my in my office and I've got a bookshelf next to it and I'll grab a book and read. It's just it's a nice little time to sort of unwind a little bit, but also to gain some skills. So I have it on my calendar and I do it every day or almost every day, every other day. And it's it's actually really beneficial. So I highly recommend it. All right, Curtis, thank Very you so much team. for coming on. Really, thank really appreciate. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing. It's, it's been great. Very good. Thank you all. Thanks, Curtis.
3: All right. Y'all take care. You too. See you, bud.
1: Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.